Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, two man car. Jess Romero, Eddie Chavez. Lots to talk about today. Just want to remind you that November is the month where we pray for the holy souls in purgatory. Don't forget to pray your rosary every single day, the month of November and beyond, for all the holy souls in purgatory, most especially those of your family and uh, those of, and, and our loved ones. Just a couple of news items before we go into the topic of today. NBC 2024 poll shows Biden losing. Yep, NBC political correspondent Steve Kornacki said President Joe Biden's re-election campaign is in trouble after the network's latest poll showed former President Donald Trump ahead with 46 to support 46% support to Biden's 44% support. In addition, only 40% of registered voters approved Biden's performance, the lowest approval rating NBC has yet recorded. Also, Texas governor endorses Trump, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott, on Sunday endorsed Trump for the for the 2024 presidential nomination. Now more than ever, Abbott says, America needs a president who will secure the border and prioritize national security. Abbott said President Trump is the clear choice to get the job done. Also, Arab leaders refuse to take Gaza refugees. What a surprise, surprise. Leaders, Arab leaders at a summit of more than 50 Arab and Muslim states condemned Israel's actions in response to Hamas' October 7th attack. But what was missing from the gathering's final statement was any immediate solution for the civilians now internally displaced within Gaza. What's interesting is Muslims won't even take Muslims in because <laughs> they, they, they don't want to bring any Hamas terrorists into, their, into the Islamic country. So uh, talk about hypocrisy. And finally, attacks on Catholic churches spike in Europe. Europe has witnessed a 44% jump in anti-Christian hate crimes more than two dozen countries over the past year, according to the Vienna-based Observatory on Intolerance and Discrimination Against Christians in Europe, the group warned of a higher acceptance of the targeting of Catholic churches, no doubt at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Well, Eddie, uh, just uh, we want to talk to t- uh, at least in the first segment about the Shelvin verdict and the dark and embarrassing truth of the American jury system. Uh, it, uh, good morning, Jess. Good morning. Yeah. Reporting for duty. Yeah. Jess, uh, it's, yeah, it's funny. The, the information on the presidents is as it should be. Uh, that's, what, that's what it should be, I think. But uh, yeah, there's a very interesting article. I'm glad you picked this because it's something that's not as out there as it was when it initially came out. Yeah, I just want to read the first half of it because that's the meat of it. It says the... Uh, Trial by ordeal, the Chauvin verdict and the dark, embarrassing truth of the American jury justice system. The Anglo-American common law was supposed to save Derek Chauvin, that it failed to say to say uh, that it failed says a lot about the, um, the America we will we all actually live in now. It's been two and a half years since the former Minneapolis police officer was convicted of murder for the death of drug addict and lifelong criminal George Floyd. Chauvin is clear is barely one tenth into his 22-year prison sentence, which he is concurrently serving with a 21-year-old federal sentence for depriving Floyd of his rights. Here's my comment, Eddie. My comment is that 
our criminal justice system in the last couple of years, it's woke. And, and, uh, and what it does, it comes down on people of faith. It comes down on law enforcement. It comes down on patriots. It comes down on conservatives, just like a Donald Trump. But our woke uh, uh, criminal justice system, it seems to be soft on liberals, progressives, and those that consider themselves victims of society. Comments? Yeah, this I agree. I mean, the whole thing is inverted. So those of us who are trying to uh, do well in the society are trying to be conservative, stay to traditional values. Uh, it's upside down. They're they're giving all the all the benefits to the uh, people that really don't deserve it, Jess. So I agree. It's uh, definitely uh, inverted and it's wrong. Yeah, and uh, let's just for the record, Chauvin is not a saint. Okay, he's not a saint. Right. He was a drug addict. Now you know, may God have mercy on his soul. But uh, I don't know how people can have billboards of him and his picture on the side of liquor stores or buses. Yeah. He's not you a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing about him that's redeeming. Now I hope he cried out to Jesus before he died. But uh, yeah, we shouldn't make him some type of a, some type of a iconic leader like uh, you know Reverend Martin Luther King. The article says the Chauvin verdict was an obvious sick joke from the moment it happened. But even on the American right, the full realization of this fact seems to have taken until the last few weeks. Helping to lead the charge was Fox host turned ex-Titan Tucker Carlson, who highlighted little-noticed recent developments in the Chauvin aftermath. The developments in question stem from a lawsuit by Hennepin County Prosecutor Amy Suisi Tamburino. Tamburino's lawsuit claimed her career stalled out due to sex discrimination in the Hennepin's prosecutor's office. But the evidence in her lawsuit overlaps with the Floyd case. And in fact, reading between the lines, one can sense the real reason Tamburino is suing the county. Higher ups sabotage her career because she didn't play ball in the Floyd case. Case files include a deposition from Sweezy in which she mentioned a conversation with the county's medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, after he performed Floyd's autopsy. In the Carlson clip... Text attributed to Sweezy, it read, quote, I called Dr. Baker early that morning to tell him about the case and to ask him if he would perform the autopsy on Mr. Floyd. He called me later in the day on that Tuesday, and he told me that there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structure of Mr. Floyd's neck. There was no medical, there were no medical indications of, asphy- of asphyxia or strangulation. Here's my comment, Eddie. His police department threw him under the bus to pacify Black Lives Matter and to pacify the other liberal, woke, Marxist, anti-law enforcement organizations that are funded by George Soros. Comments? Yeah, Jess, I think that uh, that's true because, you know, they were also anticipating what was right around the corner, Jess. They were anticipating the, uh, you know, uh, being criticized by Democratic uh, politicians. They were waiting for the... uh, the protests to occur, the uh, the violent ones that were were going to occur if, if uh, this wasn't uh, uh, handled properly according to the uh, to the folk, to the woke mob. Uh, so they were waiting a lot of things that were coming just and and they were just trying to avoid that. And that's what the whole thing uh, stemmed from. We'll learn later on in the article. That's what happened. It was a political prosecution, Eddie. Okay? Yes. It says Carlson then said, "Quote in other words." George Floyd, according to the official autopsy, was not murdered, close quote. He added that Floyd died of natural causes, which in his case would include decades of drug use, as well as the fatal concentration of fentanyl 
that was in his system on his final day. Close quote. My comment, Floyd is not a saint. He's not a martyr. He's a drug addict that died the way many drug addicts die. They overdose. Now, again, having said that, may God have mercy on his soul, but he's no he's no iconic figure in America, uh, Eddie. No, Jess, you know, we, we see posters of him. We see, uh, you know, T-shirts. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, the memory of George Floyd for some that, that love the guy uh, is not warranted. It is warranted. But but the fact to make him, like you said, a saint, to make, uh, you know, they're ready to give him his, uh, you know, a, a, a holiday so that we can all have that day off in the future. So, yeah, I, I don't agree, Jess. He's, um, he was um, he was a he was a career criminal. Man. He was a career yeah. criminal. His his criminal record was as long as a toilet paper in my bathroom. <laughs> I, it's true, Jess. You know, the, the things that this guy did would have put somebody away for a long time. But because of the woke society as it is today, um, that's what happened, you know. And and Jess, you know, let's think about it, really. The, um, the, the, the lies that the use of force trainers told about the city that taught the entire police department about how to, how to uh, you know, a method to, uh, to render a suspect neutral... They, they lied about that. I, I noticed that when they were doing it uh, on the stand, and they did it on the stand. So, you know, this kind of stuff uh, just uh, also indicates that we have a corrupt district attorney's office who knew the evidence and chose not to put it on. Um, it just, it's just, it was wrong from the very beginning. Everything about it was wrong. I, I understand that there might be a uh, they're trying to bring it back, so I hope they uh, retry this. Good, good, and I hope he uh, and I hope he gets found not guilty because he's not guilty. Yeah. The guy died of a drug overdose. That's what he right. died of. The article says, but Revolver isn't here simply to echo Carlson's excellent reporting. Instead, a crucial point was must be made: the fact that now Shelvin is is now spending decades behind bars shows a terminal decay of one of the few institutions seriously protecting Americans from an overreach of an authoritarian state, the jury system, which, by the way, I don't trust anymore, Eddie. The flaws in the criminal case against Shelvin and the real facts about his death are the sort of things that a competent jury should have deduced. The state of Minnesota might have brought a parade of experts to testify that asphyxiation killed George Floyd, but a competent jury should have seen through this and gone straight to the medical examiner's initial autopsy which plainly states the opposite. A competent jury would have seen through the swarm of, of a butt-covering BS from Minneapolis police who muddled the issue by claiming that Shelvin's knee restraint on Floyd wasn't a part of department policy when Chauvin's defense attorney had a literal photo proving otherwise. In other words, Eddie, the Minneapolis the police department trained the officers in the tactics that he used to affect the arrest, then they turned their back on him and fed him to the prosecutorial wolves. Officer Shelvin was a training officer, and he used department-approved arrest techniques, but because the media made it a racial issue, Officer Chauvin was a sacrificial lamb. That was easy for the Minneapolis Police Department to do. After all, Officer Chauvin is white. Hey, so the mainstream media would say he enjoys white privilege, so go ahead and lock him up. Yeah, God help you know, us. It's terrible. The, the, you know, the juror's job in this case was not to get in touch with some interior feeling that they had or they were holding <laughs> or some other feeling that they thought needed to be, you know, pro proclaimed from the mountaintops. But they're, and they're we'll be back. Was, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Now, back to Jesus 911.
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We're talking about the criminal injustice system and what they've done to Officer Chauvin. People are starting to talk about it again. In retrospect, they're saying, wait a minute, this guy was... uh, this guy was completely railroaded by the criminal injustice system because he's white and, and the suspect was black. And they made this a racial issue. If this would have been, Eddie, if this would have been a black officer that arrested a white suspect who was a drug addict and the black officer would have put his knee across the, uh, the, the white suspect's neck, drug addict's neck, as he's affecting an arrest because the guy's not cooperative, guess what? And, 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 the, and if the white suspect would have died... There would have been, we wouldn't have heard anything about this, Eddie. There would have been no news. They would have said, oh, the guy died because he's a drug addict. And the, and, and the black officer was, was, uh, doing, uh, was using departmentally approved techniques. But because Chauvin was white and the whole defund the police and white privilege, all of that played into it and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, all of that played into the fact that this guy's unjustly been sent to prison for 22 years. Yeah, Jess, you know, this this jury didn't do the job. They uh, they, they, they were lax. You know, their, their job, Jess, was to de- deliver uh, a justice, right? Court justice, a justice according to the court system of the United States. And the fact that the system allowed them to do it was even uh, a, a double uh, problem with this. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, and then they actually trained the officer to do the exact same things that they testified that he did wrong. And that's, that's, uh, uh, that goes against everything we believe is that's true, Jess. Eddie, and I'll tell you that I won't I won't go further into this article, but it, it, this article does talk about that years ago, like in 1689, very early on in the country, that uh, that jurors they they had to uh, they they basically picked the cream of the crop, is what I'm saying from society. You know, people. Uh, it, it, it talks about, you know, people that were financially solvent, you know, not people that are living on the street or homeless people or people that are destitute. And so that also makes, an, uh, that also was something that was very important in the jury system in times past because then a juror can't be bribed. or They're, they're not going to succumb to psychological or political pressure. But when you get any misfit, and I mean misfit, just to be a juror and to sit there in, uh, in 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 judgment of somebody's guilt or innocence, and a lot of these guys are marginal people. They're not exactly the people that you want as your next door neighbor, or the or the person that you want, uh, you know, uh, that you, that you'd have over the house. A lot of these jurors, I mean, they're they're very uh, shady people. And I say that. Remember when uh, O.J. Simpson, when he was found not guilty, and the jurors walked out, and the cameras are looking at the jurors. And they were holding their fist up in the air, black power. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they started saying, jury nullification, jury nullification, you know. In other words, they, they, they admit it. Yeah, O.J. Simpson, yeah, he's a sick wacko. He killed his wife. But because he's black, we're going to stick it to you guys. We're going to stick it to you, to the, to the, to the white establishment. Uh, see, th- this is the problem with the jury system is it's tainted now with wokeness and racialism and ra- and racial bias. That's sad, and that shouldn't be. That's wrong. Well, this is what happens. Yes, you have juries like this that find uh, a guilty criminal, excuse me, uh, an innocent criminal guilty. And, and just you know, I remember O.J. Simpson 
O.J. Simpson, he actually confessed to Rosie Greer, who was his pastor at the time. So you guys know that you were around, you were there at that uh, at that time. Yeah, he was in the county jail, you know, singing like a canary, and a bunch of deputies are listening to him. And Rosie Greer's there, and he's telling Rosie Greer, "I can't come clean. You don't understand. I can't tell the truth. I can't tell the truth. I've gone this far." A bunch of cops are right around listening to this, and you know, they call the D.A. and the D.A. says, "No, no, you, you, you can't. Uh, we can't use this in court because." You know, attorney-client privilege. All right, Eddie, let's uh, let's move on to what people really want us to talk about. Liber Cristo, the Liber Cristo method, a field manual for spiritual combat. Hey, uh, Dan told me he had a great time with you last week. By the way, oh, Dan's amazing, man. I I, I would uh, interview that guy or talk. Not even interview. It wasn't really an interview. He did most of the talking. Just I would sit and talk with him uh, uh, over a campfire and just love every minute of it. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a he's like a. He's like a volcano of information. Uh, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he sure is. Gift to the church. Well, Eddie, we're going to start today on, on page 49 where it talks about holy and unholy alliances. Lesson two, holy and unholy alliances. This is the big, this is a big, big issue of why people become diabolically afflicted. Dan writes, upon seeing David armed, not as a warrior, but with the weapon of the common shepherd, Goliath asks, Am I a dog that you come to me that you come to me with a staff? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods. To this day, feral dogs roam the Middle Eastern deserts outside of cities, surviving off refuse. David would have often used his slingshot to defend his sheep against these pack animals. According, according uh, to Scott Hahn, the dog in the Old Testament is a scavenger equated with impurity. A dog was also a derogatory term, for example, to describe a male prostitute. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18. In addition, the cultic purity of ancient Israel held in disdain the ritualistic cultic sexual practices of the surrounding Gentiles. Like feral dogs that copulate indiscriminately, so did the Gentiles in their unholy rituals. For these and other reasons, the ancient, the ancient Jews consider the Gentiles as impure, scavenging, and unclean dogs. To call someone a dog, therefore, was a grave insult, according to 2 Samuel 3.8, 2 Samuel 16.9, Psalm 22, verse 17. Pick it up from there, Eddie. Yeah, uh, note the irony in Goliath's words. The Philistines' religious rituals to their false gods resembled that of a dog copulating indiscriminately. Wow. For this reason, God commanded the people, as they approached the promised land, to make a clean break from their past idolatry while in the slavery of Egypt. No longer shall they, the Israelites, offer their sacrifices to demons with whom they prostituted themselves. This shall be an everlasting statute for them and their descendants." Uh, how does a uh, people prostitute themselves with demons? They defile themselves then, as so many uh, still do today, through ritualistic and indiscriminate sex. For this reason, God commands Israel, uh, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you once lived, nor shall you do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not conform to their customs. Notably, Goliath was from the Philistine region of southern Canaan, or Canaan. Uh, Leviticus describes what their customs entailed, detailing the forbidden sexual acts of incest, of incest of all sorts, as well as bestiality. Uh, that's found in Leviticus 18. 
Only dogs mate so capriciously. David's answer then was, yes, you are a dog, like all of your people. The Israelites were at times no different than the Philistines in their sexual behavior as they fell back into the false into false worship. Today as well, many Catholics have sexual practices no different than their non-Catholic neighbors. Sex is a spiritually imbued act which, which can either be holy or unholy. For this reason, the demon particularly seeks to defile the marital act and distort the generative principle. In this section, we will discuss the bonds created through unholy actions. Two or three points I'll make from here, Eddie, then I'll toss it over to you. Number one, you'll find a lot of people, the vast majority of cases of people that get diabolically afflicted at some level all the way to possession, it's usually through some type of sexual perversion. That's common. Eddie's seen it. I've seen it. Dan's seen it. That's the, the probably the most common way that people invite a demon into their life. Another thing that I find interesting in what Dan just wrote here is... Um, yeah, a lot of Catholics, their sexual practices are no different from their pagan neighbors. What he's talking about there, many Catholics abort and use contraception just as, as regularly as a secular humanist neighbor of theirs. In other words, there's just no difference. And uh, a lot of Catholics think that men, so we're just going to clear the record here, that heterosexual sodomy is okay because, hey, it's my wife. No, it's not. So, het, homosexual and heterosexual sodomy offends God. It's a mortal sin. Okay, even with one spouse, okay, that's degrading your spouse. That's not making love. That's using her as an object. And so that's another reason why a lot of men also, they invite evil spirits into their lives is because of their unclean sexual practices. And finally, the last thing that I want to say that as Catholics, the fastest way that we can clean up, uh, you know, the fastest way that we can return uh to a state of grace and to a, to a relationship with Jesus God Christ is one of the things we have to do is we have to make sure that it, when a, a Catholic man and a woman, when they're intimate with each other in the sacrament of marriage, intimacy brings in angels, brings in God into the room. By the same token, if a Catholic man and a woman, they're in mortal sin. They say, hey, let's turn on pornography. Let's, let's watch it. Let's, let's copy what we see. Guess what you're doing? You're inviting demons into the room. So sexual intimacy, when it's clean and ordered and you're in a state of grace, it invites angels into the room and God into the room when, you, when, when, the sexual, uh, when sexual intimacy is disordered and perverted and you're both Apart from God in a state of mortal sin, your sexual intimacy involves invites evil spirits into the room. Yes, how you know? I start examining this culture that we live in in 2023 here in the United States, and I'm just thinking, you know, are we much better than the Philistines, the Gentiles, or even the Israelites? <laughs> I think that um, you know we have to look at this this hookup culture that we have. Just we've got this uh, up to nine month abortion. Uh, 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 the law, just I kind of predict that in the future we'll have a law that after the child's born, and it may already be somewhere, but we might have this law where you could uh, uh, exter exterminate a child after its birth, right? We've got bisexual, non-binary, man-boy love, lady boys, TikTok models. We've got Kardashian see-through derriere stretchy pants. Just, you know, this might mean something to people from, from the, we used to work East LA where we work, but, uh, you know, uh, Kennedy Hall on a Friday night was nothing compared to this, Jess. 
Jesus, amen. come quick. Yeah, amen, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You're listening to Jesus 911. We're talking about uh, the, 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 the protocol, the Libra Crystal protocol. Uh, <clears throat> Eddie, that this uh, term, sometimes people take issue with the term about holy and unholy alliance, or, or it's, it's called soul ties, soul ties. The word soul ties, I was talking to Father Ripperger, and he, had, he says that came from Dr. James Dobson. He's a Protestant minister. He started using that term probably about 30 years ago. Catholics, you could use that term, but the way we actually say it, because it comes from a homily from Pope Gregory the Great, we'll say soul ties, uh, which, I mean, unholy ties, unholy ties, or unholy, holy and unholy alliances. So that's more the Catholic way of saying it, the theological way. But it means the same thing as soul times. It's the same thing. The Protestants just kind of make made it more, uh, uh, I guess, colloquial, more more user friendly. But they they actually took that phrase from a Catholic pope, where he calls holy and hol- unholy alliances. For example, if you go to bed with a prostitute, guess what? You've entered into an unholy alliance. That's an example. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. <clears throat> We're uh, talking about Liber Cristo, uh, Lesson 2, Holy and Unholy Alliances. Uh, let's move on to Spiritual and Psychological Bounds. This Bonds, it's, this is a big, big section of Father Ripperger's teaching here that uh, we're going to go through this slowly. Eddie, you want to pick it up from there? Yeah, Jess, are you still on uh, the uh, lesson two? Yeah, right, lesson Okay, two. spiritual and psychological bonds. Standing for the enemy who taunts and ridicule, ridicules both of you and God while facing the prospect of slavery and death, you may have come to realize that you have been unfaithful to God in many areas of your life. Many who done, uh, who've done this protocol report that certain memories of past sins now plague them. This is often due to the information of unholy soul ties. In modern times, the concept of soul ties has been popularized by Christian psychologist James Dobson and not, uh, and not often presented from a traditional Catholic point of view. Uh, although not writing from a Christian perspective, he's Protestant, uh, psychologists, uh, they're called, uh, she's, a psychologist, uh, Carla Maria Manley uh, defines a soul tie as an emotional or spiritual courting, an inexplicable power, emotional, powerful and emotional bond to another person. The broad appeal of the idea of soul soul ties suggests that they are part of the human experience. Our human experience teaches us that uh, holy alliances are created between uh, married couples, holy friendships and the like. Yeah. For example, Father Ripperger says that every uh, Catholic man should have a soul tie with his wife and every Catholic woman should have a soul tie with her husband. And a lot of that it's because they share everything, including physical intimacy. So, yes, there are holy souls. There are holy soul ties, the ones that you have between uh, spouses in a sacramental marriage. Dan writes, although interest in soul ties is seemingly a modern and non-Catholic phenomenon, 
Our understanding of holy and unholy bonds, which unite souls, traces its roots to both St. Paul and Pope St. Leo the Great. St. Leo alluded to holy alliances when he wrote of that peace of soul that the most intimate bonds of friendship and the closest affinity of minds cannot truly lay claim to. If they're not in agreement with the will of God, peace is the reward of holy acts done towards uh, or holy of holy acts done toward because or done together, excuse me. Peace is the reward of holy acts done together because as Clement explains, Kyle Clement, holy alliances are formed by acting together for the good, such as in a vocation, in service of the church, in pursuit of the virtues, or in pursuit of holiness. These, these Pope St. Leo writes, are bound together in holy harmony that are rightly given the heavenly title of sons of God, co-heirs with Christ. These holy bonds are formed between parents and children, spouses, friends, teachers, and students, etc., and lead souls closer to God. An example of, of, again, some more holy alliances or soul ties. I have soul ties with everybody that's on VMPR. Everybody. All the staff. Because we're all, we all got one goal in mind. We're all mission-oriented. We all know that we have to, uh, you know, our, our goal is to win souls for Christ, to teach the truth of the Catholic faith. And so, for example, and everybody in EWTN, they should all have, you know, soul ties, holy alliances with each other. Everybody in any, any, you know, Ignatius Press, they should have holy alliances, soul ties with each other because they're all doing the same thing. So there's a, there's a, a, a unity, there's a bond of unity there. Yeah, Jess, I think that anybody that you've ever sat next to during Mass, during Holy Mass, yeah. Uh, that that's known to you. That's a, that's a holy alliance right there. That's something yeah. that we yeah. aspire to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, go ahead, Eddie. Pick it up from the... Okay. The opposite, however, appears also to be true. As St. Paul writes, do not be led astray. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's found in 1 Corinthians 15.33. This means that uh, Pace and Clement... We adapt the attributes of those with whom we associate with, particularly to uh, particularly the effect that immoral people can have on those who are um, uh, are moving closer to God. Certain acts bind people together uh, in an unholy way and consequently away from God because they are formed in practices and associations, which are a perversion and corruption of the above, and are forged in the transgressions of the commandments. Thus. Father Rittberger defines a soul tie as a spiritual bond between two individuals, normally as a result of a mutual sin committed together or the sin of, of uh, one committed against the other. Sexual sins, abortion, criminal activity, and other violations of the moral teachings of the church have the opposite effect of holy bonds. In our prudential experience, certain acts are so gravely evil that they have a diabolical accompaniment. That is, the demons present to the act both uh, co-animate and accompany the sinful behavior. As St. Leo affirms, alliances based on, uh, on evil desires, covenants of crime, and pacts of vice uh, all lie outside the scope of this, uh, of this peace. Thus, while holy alliances bring peace, unholy ligatures bind those who commit grave sins together, creating unrest. The very word conspire means to breathe together. And when two people conspire to commit evil, a spiritual bond is created. Jess, you have a comment? Yeah. Uh, the, the, I like uh, where, where Dan talks about 
the demons present to the act both co-animate and accompany the sinful behavior. Yeah, in the back of this book, you'll have a list, like it's a glossary of about 600 different different vices and demons in the back of the book, or the different demons that they co-animate the vices. In other words, they, they operate behind these vices. That's what Dan means by co-animate. Uh, and you'll also have, for example, in, in co-animation, you can have two demons co-animating, you know, cooperating in this particular sin. You could have the demon of lust uh, co-animating along with the demon of pornography, along with the demon of homosexuality. So you could have different demons co-animating uh, the the person uh, to fall into the same sin. Because again, uh, you know, although they have different uh, different missions, so to speak, but still the end result is the same. They want to tempt the person to the point where they, they just uh, fall into mortal sin, stay there, and thus... Uh, end up in hell one day. That's that's the, the goal of a demon. Or also on this lifetime is to get them to commit suicide, to get them to, com- to, get them to kill themselves. That's another uh, goal of the demon here on earth is to get the human person to just kill themselves. It yes, says here... Here's, here's, yeah. the, here's, here's the catechetical moment. Watch. First uh, Corinthians 15.33. Uh, in, in order to comply with this Bible verse, first we have to judge someone on being bad. Is that correct? Yeah. Bad company corrupts good morals. Yes, the false understanding is here that we can't be negative. If we judge, then we also will will be judged later. So and, uh, to be kind and don't judge others because God accepts us all as we are. Well, Jess, the reality is we have to judge others. We are then in some instances required to judge others. Why? We understand that in order to keep our own house in a right place, in a good place where it should be, um, if we're being like, if we're being uh, unlike Adam in the Garden of Eden, we need to take this even a step further and understand that casting out immoral people, uh, bad company for our own lives, it would be a, a, a boon for us and an example to our children to do the same thing. Absolutely, and let's not forget that as Catholics, we're called to uh, we're called to judge behavior, not the soul. We don't know. I don't know where, you know. No, you know, my cousin X is going to go today that or that who died today or my aunt Y who died last week. I don't know where they're going to end up at. I pray that they make it to heaven, but I don't know. But I can judge their behavior. I can sure say, boy, oh boy, he had a heroin problem. Hope he repented. Boy, oh boy, she had a drinking problem. Hope she repented. We're called to judge behavior so we can correct behavior because as St. Paul says, love corrects. So talking about soul ties here. For purposes here, the demon can continue to operate along these psychological and emotional ligatures, the inexplicable, powerful emotional bonds of of manly, of mainly between persons, due to the demon's access to what Father Ripperger refers to as the data stored in the memory. They operate through the imagination, where the ties create through certain unholy acts, provide a pathway for the projection of manipulated and distorted emotionally charged memories. Thus, these unholy bonds must be broken through sacramental confession and certain prayers as part of the temporal punishment due to sins. A lot, a lot, let me impact something there. Sense memory data, what Father Ripperger says that everything that we see, listen to, you know, uh, everything that we take in with our five senses is stored in a word file that Father Ripperger calls sense memory data. And the demons, they have access 
to to your uh, to the sense memory data to the imagination, and they try to trigger it uh, by by igniting the passions, by igniting your emotions, and this way they can trigger they can trigger the, what's in your memory. I'll give you an example how this is proved could be proved. You listen to a song that when you were in high school, say you went to the prom, and you listen to a song that you went to the prom. I don't care if you're 60 years old like myself or 62. That song is going to transport you back to that moment in time where you had your nice tuxedo and the nice car and you're picking up your date for the prom. That, that's the power of emotion upon memory. Once the emotions are ignited, the emotions are triggered, and demons can trigger the emotions, God permits them to, then now they have access to your memory and your imagination. This is why frequent confessions, what it does, it, it, it deletes that sense memory data. All those past sins that you, you're recalling that, that are stored there, the sacrament of confession, it's like hitting the delete button and they go into cyberspace. And the Bible says, God says in Isaiah and Jeremiah, I forgive and I forget. So as Catholics, we have to, I tell people, oh, just I can't forget. I had a, two, three abortions. I can't forget. I did this. I did that in Iraq. I did this. You know, I, I was involved in an orgy in Iraq. I said, dude, confess it and then forget about it. Because if God forgets about it, you've got to forget about it. Because this is the way the demon operates. They keep on bringing this, this to your attention. And they make you fixate on it. And you end up becoming scrupulous. You can't, you can't go one second without thinking about the fact that you had an orgy in Iraq. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911 two-man car. We're talking about Liber Cristo method. This is a method devised by Kyle Clement, Father Chad Ripperger, uh, and it's a method of helping people heal from diabolic affliction all the way to possession. But this program, what it does, it puts a lot of the responsibility on the, on the person who's possessed, on the person who's afflicted, because it makes them basically put on their big boy pants and big boy shoes, and they have to start doing things for themselves proactively. In other words, as Father Ripperger's discovered in 17 years of being a mandated exorcist, he says, Jess, if people don't start m- moving into a life of virtue. Virtue means moral excellence, holy habits. If they don't move in that direction, they're never going to get liberated because a demon will hold on to the sin, the sin that they don't want to let go of, that disordered behavior, that the imperfections, the disordered appetites, uh, you know, the defects of the soul. The demon will just hold on there all day long. Uh, he, he explained to me, Father Ripperger says, think about those young adults Eddie, that like to climb those, you know, those mountains. They go to those, uh, you know, they're, there's, they're all over the cities. Those, uh, yeah, those climbing walls, okay? And, and how do these youngsters get up there, male and female? Well, there's little crevices there. They put their hands in. They put their foot in there, and they're able to scale that mountain. Uh, now, I, I definitely wouldn't do it at my age, but, but you yeah, know, my, my kids do it all the time, any chance they have. Well, that's the same way Father Ripperger's explained to me. He goes, Jess... When you have unconfessed sin or you have 
uh, or you have a very immoral lifestyle, those become holding points for the demon. They hold on, and now that that gives them a foothold into your life, and and they've they've got they've got your permission to be there, because your your sinful, mortally sinful lifestyle gives them permission to be there, and they're holding on to to all those defects of yours in the soul, those those imperfections and the and uh, and all these uh, disordered appetites, and so, uh, Eddie, comments. <clears throat> Yeah, Jess, you know, that's true. Uh, the way it was explained well, to you've me... Well, it, you've seen it. You've seen it, Eddie. You've seen it. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. We don't, what happens is they get a hold of you by some uh, sinful behavior, whatever it might be, whether you knew it or you didn't know it, and they hold on by a heresy. So yes. even after you confess yes. it, Jess, yeah. even after it's confessed, then there's still that little heresy like, oh, I didn't believe that the Virgin Mary, um, yes. all the apparitions of the church, uh, she didn't appear in all those places. I have a problem with that. Well, that problem is how they hold on to the to the sin that they initially gained permission to be uh, to afflict you with. Yeah. So the way the way uh, the way Liber Crystal teaches it is uh, the demon enters through sin and the deep and the demon holds on through heresy. That's a simple one sentence. The demon yeah. enters through sin and the demon holds on to heresy, which goes to show you this is why in uh, in, in helping a person get liberated, they have to be catechized. Because if they maintain in their in, in their intellect, in their malformed intellect, say let, let's just say they, they've confessed all the the, the the mortal sins they've been involved in, but they still tell you, but I still feel this these demons inside of me. Uh, well, okay, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Well, oh by the way, uh, you know they'll say I don't uh, I don't believe that Mary is a perpetual virgin. They'll say uh, I don't believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. That's just a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in in uh, you know in uh, in in going to to com- confess my sins to a man. So if you hold on, once you're diabolically afflicted, if the intellect still remains objectively malformed, the demon has something to hold on to, and the demon will not leave. To be liberated, it has to be the the soul has to return to a clean life. And the intellect has to now be formed by the truths of the Catholic faith. Or as Bishop Strickland says, what what got him uh, fired, he's always saying, we have to hold to the deposit of faith. A possessed person, (laughs) uh, uh, somebody's afflicted, they have to learn and believe the deposit of faith in order for there to be full healing and liberation. Yeah, just, you know, some of the... The catechesis that, that I've learned because of you, and you know, this goes back what twenty years, just at least, right? Yeah. And uh, so, so people are going to be thankful to you. Thank you, just because what you do is you put it in layman's terms. You take a a, a very difficult the teaching of the church, a doctrine or dogma <laughs> of the church, and you make it for the simple men like myself. So thank you for that. God bless you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Go ahead, pick it up from there. <laughs> okay. So for this reason, we hold that. We hold that all unholy alliances are defect-driven. According to Father Ritberger, the demons are always trying to incite people to the uh, excess or the defect in behavior. Shared defects in virtue can sometimes become the commonality of a relationship and can become a point of unholy fixation for a person. This is often the case in divorce, marital infidelity, and the like. 
This can also be seen in the desire to manipulate or control, which can become the source of the unholy alliance. Behind the scenes, as it were, a co-animation of spirits can, uh, can occur, which exploits the common defects or, or excesses, which lead to mortal sin and uh, concomitant unholy alliances. It Thus, says, Father, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Jess, go ahead. Thus, Father Ripperger defines a negative soul tie as a spiritual bond between two individuals, normally as a result of a mutual sin committed together or the sin of one committed against the other. Now, now, let me, let me just say something. Sometimes a soul tie is not the person's fault. For example, if somebody's been raped, <laughs> you know, uh, yes. that that per- the victim's not at fault. They they may have a soul tie, and right. they may have also as a result of that there may have been demonic transference. The person may be diabolically afflicted because of the perpetrator was diabolically afflicted, but the person remains morally, you know, n- not guilty, so to speak. But and just the same thing with curses. The same yeah. thing with curses, right? Just when a yeah, curse absolutely. is done by, let's say, a parent or somebody, it's really the same thing. It's not the child's fault. No. It's not even the adult's fault. It's it's a, but there is a transfer of demonic presence. Yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. You're just an innocent victim of somebody's malfeasance. It says to detect the presence of an unholy tie, one should first go to Our Lady of Sorrows, as the words of this of of Simeon at the presentation in the temple suggest. In Luke chapter 2, verse 35, and you yourself a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Ask Our Lady of Sorrows to reveal any unholy alliances, unconfessed mortal sins, or any defects which bind you to your past and prevent you from getting closer to God. By the way, this should be done for nine days. So you take the rosary and you ask Our Lady of Sorrows. You ask her specifically, uh, my lady, can you reveal to me any sins that have entered into my family line or any sins that I'm wrestling against that, that, that I'm not aware of. And you pray to her for nine days. There's actually, there's actually a rosary called the Dola Rosary. It's basically uh, the seven meditations on Our Lady of Sorrows. You can do that one as well or the Sorrowful Mysteries. But you pray for nine days asking Our Lady of Sorrows to reveal to you any personal defects that you don't know about or any... Uh, uh, any sins that may have entered into your family line, into your into your family tree, and uh, you want her to reveal it to you. And as a result of also praying to her for nine days, she'll also give you the grace to fight. She'll reveal what it is and also give you the grace to fight against it. The most common sins which create unholy soul ties include incest and rape. That's not the person's fault. Homosexual acts. Sometimes it's not the person's fault if they're raped. Physical and emotional abuse. Unholy sex acts, even within marriage. Vows and packs in the occult, such as Freemasonry and other witchcraft, tattoos, criminal acts, pornography, abortion, and participation in satanic rock music. Eddie, pick it up from there. If you had an abortion, for example, what Father Ripperger refers to as a spiritual bond between two individuals resulting in mutual sins committed together was formed when you and the father of your child, for example, the abortionist, the staff, and anyone who counseled you uh, or drove you to the clinic. It goes on. If you consulted a curandera, a palm reader, an unholy alliance was likewise formed. If you were a victim of abuse, an unholy bond was created between you and the abuser. Every previous sexual partner outside of sacramental marriage has created an unholy alliance. Breaking soul ties includes getting rid of any artifacts, gifts, photos, Freemasonic, 
Freemasonic uh, regalia, etc., cetera, uh, related to the person or event, especially evil objects. Any interior uh, resistance to getting rid of these objects, of the objects, suggests that an unholy bond may exist. Releasing the stone. A slinger first swings his sling overhead to gain momentum. This increases the terminal velocity of his projectile and maximizes its impact. Like David Stone, which penetrated through the helmet of Goliath before embedding into his forehead, see 1 Samuel 17, 49, the force of this stone increases when the sacraments are combined with inner purity. While sacramental confession removes the guilt of any sin, the breaking of soul ties helps to purify the memory and emotion so that the demon can no longer manipulate you through the imagination. Thus, when the breaking of soul ties is combined with sacramental penance, not only is the sin forgiven, but also the emotional and psychological ligatures severed. This helps to untie the psychological enmeshment, which in turn assists in removing any psychological compatibility that binds your soul to another in an unhealthy way. Eddie? The military uses a strategy of counter-battery when assaulted with artillery or mortars. When the enemy fires upon a combat outpost, a COP, COP, our military uh, technology can track the source of the projectile and immediately fire back at the enemy source. The artillery can even have a, round, a roundabout uh, Around outbound before, okay, let me do that again. The artillery can even have a round outbound before the enemy's inbound round impacts. Spiritual warfare works in a similar way. Your interior life is like a combat outpost which must be defended. The demon uses unconfessed sin and unholy soul ties as an unprotected flank to launch his projectiles into your interiority. While a soul in a state of mortal sin has no protection, the emotional and psychological vulnerabilities from common sins with others create a vulnerability to your COP. Once you have confessed the sin and broken any unholy soul tie, however, you close off that vulnerability. Uh, you can now project back prayers for the other person like counter battery in a free and holy way. We'll stop it right there, Eddie. Good stuff. Yeah. We'll, pick, we'll pick this up next week. We're still talking about soul ties, and next week we'll talk about how to break the soul ties. The actual prayer we'll give you, which is in the book, uh, that should be prayed three times in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Well, Eddie, good good stuff, brother. And uh, I also, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say uh, my 12 noon Angelus for Officer Chauvin. Uh, what happened to him two and a half years ago is unjust, and I'm going to lift him up in prayer. Hey, that's a wrap, my friends. Eddie and me, we're both EOW end of watch. 10-7, we're out. We'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. Coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. God bless you. Keep the faith. Viva Cristo Rey.